three days later. Children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. Again, we are in Matthew chapter 27. I'll be reading verses 39 and 40. As always, keep your Bibles open because we're going to be looking at other verses there in that same passage. But for our reading today, Matthew 27, beginning in verse 39, please stand together with me out of honor to God and His Word as I read. And they that passed by reviled him, wagging their heads, and saying, Thou that destroyest the temple and buildest it in three days, save thyself, if thou be the Son of God, come down from the cross. Thank you. You may be seated. The title of today's message is Voices from the Crucifixion. Voices from the Crucifixion. So as far as what's recorded for us in Matthew, we're going to find out what people were saying when Jesus was there hanging on the cross. Now speaking of voices... And by the way, ladies, I already know you won't laugh at this joke. This is for the men. A man goes to his pastor for counseling. And he tells his pastor, Every day I hear a voice telling me how bad I am and chastising me for all the things I've done wrong in my life. I think I'm possessed. Am I possessed? The pastor replies, No, you're not possessed. You're just married. All right, there you go. Let's look and see. Let's look at voices from the crucifixion. Voices from the crucifixion. First of all, the voices of the unbelievers. Uh, as Matthew calls the passers-by, the people that just happen to be passing by that way. What do they say? Well, beginning in verse 40, they destroy, you said you could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days. They're making fun of him that not only did he say he could destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, he couldn't even get himself down off the cross, apparently, so they're making fun. Well, as we looked at a couple weeks, a couple weeks ago, Jesus, when he said that, was speaking of his own body. Here in John chapter 2, beginning in verse 19, Jesus answered and said unto them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. Then said the Jews, Forty-six years was this temple in building, and you're going to rear it up in three days? Here's the key. But he spoke of the temple of his body. Of his body, okay? So here on the cross, they would destroy his body. He would restore it three days later. So they said that, also in verse 40, they said, save yourself. You saved others, why don't you save yourself? And Jesus could have. He could have saved himself from the cross. He's God. He could do anything. He didn't want to save himself. He wanted to save us. And so he stayed there on the cross. The other thing they said was, come down from the cross. Why don't you come down from the cross? You say you're the Son of God. You say you're the... Why don't you come down from the cross? Do you realize that Jesus could have not only come down off the cross on his own power, he could have called multitudes of angels to help get him off the cross. In fact, look what he said elsewhere in Matthew 26 and verse 53. He says, Thinkest thou that I cannot now pray to my Father, and he shall presently give me more than twelve legions of angels? Now let me tell you what, a Roman legion in that day consisted between 3,000 and 6,000 soldiers. And so, Jesus says here, I could call, if I wanted to, I could call and I could get between 12, uh, I'm sorry, 12 legions of angels. Now, if a Roman legion was, say, 3,000 soldiers, that means he could have called on 36,000 angels. If a legion was 6,000 soldiers, he could have called on 72,000 angels to come help him. Now, let me tell you this, when it comes to angels and their power, one angel would be sufficient to get Jesus off the cross. Can you imagine what 36,000 or 72,000 angels would have done had He called on them? But He didn't come down. You know why? So we could come up. He didn't come down so we could come up. So the passers-by, this is what they had to say. 
Ah, you said you'd destroy the temple and rebuild it. Hey, why don't you save yourself? Hey, why don't you come down from the cross? But the religious leaders also chimed in. If you look in verse 42, they said, well, he saved others. He can't save himself. There's that guy that went around saying he could save other people. He can't even save himself. And then they say in that same verse, hey, Jesus, if you come down from there, we'll believe. If you just get yourself down off the cross, we will believe. And then look what they say in verse 43. Let God deliver him, if God will have him. Let me read that. He trusted in God. Let him deliver him now, if he will have him. For he said, I'm the Son of God. You apparently have the Jesus. You apparently have this special relationship with God the Father. If he'll have you, let him save you. Well, my friends, as it turns out, we know that God did not deliver Jesus from the cross. He didn't deliver him from the cross. God delivered him to the cross. And God delivered him through the cross. But this reminds me of many people today. Many people ridicule the Savior. And they ridicule our faith. Just like these folks were doing here. Making fun. Jesus is hanging on that cross. He is dying. He hasn't died yet, but He is dying. And they're laughing. They're having a big time. They're making fun of Him. People still today ridicule the Savior and they ridicule the faith. Other people today require a sign. Just like the religious leaders say, well, if you get down off the cross, then we'll believe. You show us you're capable, then we'll believe. People today ridicule the Savior. They ridicule our faith. They require a sign. Like, for instance, they'll get themselves in a jam and they'll pray. They'll say, God, get me out of this jam, then I'll believe. I created this big problem in my life, but if you get me out of it, I'll believe. Or, I'll believe in you, God, once I get all the proof. I, I need proof. I've got to have scientific proof of everything. And once I get all the proof, once I get all my answers, then I'll believe. Know this. If there's any of you here who want to ridicule the Savior and ridicule the faith, here's what the Bible says. God is not mocked. God is not mocked. Oh, you may get to laugh. Just like these people. They got to laugh. You might get to laugh. You ain't getting the last laugh. And for those of you who think you just need all the facts, you need all the answers, know this, that God requires faith, not facts. One of my favorite verses in the Bible, I share it with you all the time, is Ephesians 2.8. It says, For by grace are you saved through faith. It does not say, For by grace are you saved through facts. It's faith. God requires faith. So the unbelievers there, the passers-by, the religious leaders, all unbelievers, they had plenty to say. But they're not the only ones that had something to say. In addition to the unbelievers, there was the Christ. And notice what he says here in verse 46. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Why is Jesus saying that? Because he took upon himself the full weight of the world's sin. The sins of everyone who would eventually believe in Him, He took upon Himself their sins. And Jesus felt separation from His Father for the first time in eternity and He expressed it as being forsaken. And so when our sins are placed upon Him, He says, My God, My God, You've forsaken Me. But Jesus was doing something else here. Jesus was directing His detractors as well as His followers to Psalm 22. And I want to do that 
as well. I want you to turn your Bible, Psalm 22. Now, Psalm is, a, is an easy book to find. It's basically in the middle of your Bible. So if you just open your Bible to the middle, it's probably going to open to the book of Psalms and then just find chapter 22. So Jesus is feeling forsaken, of course, because he has taken upon himself our sins, but he's also directing everyone to go to Psalm 22. You see, back in that day, teachers would quote the first part of a passage and their students were expected to know the rest of it or to look it up. And so Jesus starts by quoting the first part of Psalm 22, expecting anybody listening to either know the rest of it or to look it up. Something very interesting about Psalm 22, it was written by David a thousand years before Romans ever invented crucifixion. Yet if you read verses 14, 15, and 16, it describes crucifixion in detail. So it's written by David a thousand years before Rome invented crucifixion, yet it describes crucifixion. And notice from our passage today some of these key verses. For instance, from verse 46 in our passage, look at verse 1 of Psalm 22. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Remember, Jesus felt forsaken, but... He's also directing us to Psalm 22. How about verse 39 from our passage? Now look at verse 7 here in Psalm 22. It says, All they that see me laugh me to scorn. They shoot out the lip. They shake the head. What about verse 43 from our passage? Look at verse 8 here. He trusted in the Lord that He would deliver him. Let him deliver him, seeing he delights in him. What about verse 35 from our passage and verse 18 here? They part my garments among them and cast lots upon my vesture. David writes this a thousand years before Jesus ever walked this earth. And yet it describes in detail crucifixion and it describes in detail what was going on around the cross. So what did Christ say at the crucifixion? My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? But that's not it. Look down in verse 50. Verse 50, I'm back to Matthew 27. It says he let out a final cry, a last cry. Verse 50 says Jesus, when he had cried again with a loud voice, yielded up the ghost. He died. But what did he say? What, was, what were his last words? Well, Matthew doesn't tell us. Luke and John do. Luke 23, 46 says that when Jesus had cried with a loud voice, he said, Father, into thy hands I commend my spirit. And having said thus, he gave up the ghost. He died. And John tells us what else Jesus said at that moment. He said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up the ghost. Now what does that mean when Jesus says, it is finished? Well, he was certainly referring to his life, right? His life was finished. He was dying because right after that he gave up the ghost. He died. So his life was finished. What else was finished? His reconciliation between man and God was finished. And not only was that finished, but our debt for sin was paid in full. It was paid in full. It's finished. It's finished. So this is very significant that Jesus, we always say He died on the cross, but what happened when Jesus died at the cross? What happened at His death? Well, a lot of different things. First of all, look in verse 51. The temple veil was torn. It says there in verse 51, And behold, the veil of the temple was rent in twain from the top to the bottom. And so the temple veil was torn. Now that veil used to separate the Holy of Holies from the holy place. In other words, people couldn't go in there except for the high priest and only then once a year. But when Jesus died, that veil is torn from the top to the bottom, from heaven to earth, such that people no longer need a human mediator. We have direct, direct access to God through Jesus Christ. 
But notice the rest of that verse, verse 51. There was an earthquake. So not only was the, the veil in the temple torn, there was an earthquake. And if you look in verse 52, rocks shattered, including some that sealed the tombs. It says there, And the graves were opened, and many bodies of the saints which slept arose. Dead believers rose from the dead. When Jesus died on the cross, people who had died in faith all of a sudden came back to life again. And look in verse 53. This is kind of creepy for Easter. And came out of the graves after His resurrection and went into the holy city and appeared unto many. So what happened when Jesus died? When He died, the veil was torn. When He died, there's an earthquake and people rose from the dead. When He died, something theologians call the Great Exchange, that occurred, the Great Exchange. That's what I was talking about with, with the children here this morning. That our sins were placed on Jesus and His righteousness is given to us. The Great Exchange. It comes out of 2 Corinthians 5.21 that says, For He hath made Him to be sin for us who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in Him. As Peter would say in 1 Peter 3.18, The just for the unjust. And so we receive His righteousness. He receives our sin. The great exchange. The great exchange. And again, as I've already said, what else happened when Jesus died? Our sins were paid in full. Now back to that, the last words of Jesus according to John. John said, Jesus said, it is finished. Here's something you may not know. The Greek word, or the Greek phrase for it is finished is an accounting term, you know, from keeping track of numbers. And it is finished means, in accounting, paid in full. Paid in full. And so when Jesus died on the cross, He said, it's paid in full. There's nothing else you and I need to contribute. Nothing else we need to do. We just receive what Christ did for us on the cross. And so we see what the unbelievers were saying. We see what the Christ was saying. Let's look at one other person that was talking, and that is the Roman centurion. The Roman centurion. If you look in verse 54, he calls Jesus the Son of God. It says there, Now when the centurion and they that were with him watching Jesus saw the earthquake and those things that were done, they feared greatly, saying, Truly, this was the Son of God. And so he calls Jesus the Son of God. And if you read in Luke chapter 23 and verse 47, the centurion also says, This was a righteous man. And so the centurion says, this is the Son of God. This is a righteous man. And we agree with the centurion on both accounts. Jesus is the unique Son of God. He is co-equal, co-eternal, and co-existent with God the Father and God the Holy Spirit. And Jesus is perfectly righteous, completely sinless. And so what the centurion said there, hey, He's the Son of God. Hey, He is righteous. Yes, we agree. The centurion was a pagan, yet he spoke the truth. He was a pagan. They believed in multiple gods, but he spoke the truth. He said, this is the Son of God. This is a righteous man. Perhaps that centurion even believed. I don't know. I can't see his heart. But perhaps he even believed. And if so, his faith was not logical. Why? Well, even in his pagan religion, gods don't die. And if this is truly the Son of God... God the Father, He would say, well, God doesn't die. How can the Son of God die? It wasn't logical. And yet perhaps He believed. 
And even if he did believe, God is showing once again his desire to include Gentiles in his plan of salvation. That you've got this pagan Roman centurion that gets saved at the crucifixion. Whether he believed or not, we don't know. But either way, the centurion bears a strong witness for Jesus Christ. When he looks at Jesus on the cross, he said, This is the Son of God. This is a righteous man. I don't know if he's saved or not, but I agree with him. And our faith must be like the centurions. Our faith must be like the centurions. First of all, we need to be saying the right things about Jesus. Telling the truth about Jesus. That Jesus is not just good, He's God. That Jesus isn't just a teacher, He's the truth. That Jesus isn't just a man, He's the Savior of men. And not only must we be telling the truth about Jesus, we must be sharing the truth about Jesus. That Jesus died on the cross to pay for the sins of all who would believe. That Jesus was buried on the third day, Jesus rose again from the dead. And so like the centurion, we must be saying the right things about Jesus. But like the centurion, we also must be believing the right things about Jesus. We must have full confidence that Jesus is the perfect Son of God. What do I mean by that? Jesus is virgin born. Jesus is our sinless Savior. Jesus is our resurrected Lord. Jesus is our returning King. We must believe these things about Jesus as the perfect Son of God. And having said that, just like the centurion, our faith is not going to be purely logical because we don't have all the answers. Well, let me just say this. I don't have all the answers. If you have all the answers, I'd love for you to let me in on the, all the answers you have. I don't have all the answers here, okay? But I believe. It's not purely logical. It's not necessarily scientific. But I believe even though I don't have every answer to every question. Sometimes we believe when circumstances turn bad. We're going through difficult times. We're going through bad times. And yet we believe anyway. We keep the faith. Is that logical? No, it's not logical. You see, what God is looking for from us is faith without sight. Believing without seeing. There's plenty that we can see to help us believe. But what comes down to it, God is after us to believe without seeing. To just believe. Because remember, by grace are you saved through faith. Not by grace are you saved through facts. Through faith. God requires faith. We must believe. And so like the centurion, we must be not only saying the right things about Jesus, we must be believing the right things about Jesus. Full confidence that Jesus is the perfect Son of God. And it's not purely always logical. But that's okay. Because God is not interested in logic as much as He's interested in faith. And so today, as we've looked at voices from the crucifixion, we see, first of all, the unbelievers. Plenty of unbelievers there. They had plenty to say. Like, ah, you said you'd destroy and build the temple. Come on now. Why don't you save yourself if you're the Savior of the world? Why don't you come down from the cross? That's what the passers-by were saying. Even the religious leaders, they got involved. Hey, you saved others. You can't save yourself. Why don't you come down? And then we'll believe. Or, why, you know, you're all about God and you've got this relationship with God. Why don't you let Him deliver you if He even wants anything to do with you? They're laughing. They're having a good old time. Remember this. God is not 
mocked. You may get to laugh. They got to laugh. They didn't get the last laugh, and neither will you. God requires faith, not facts. And then the Christ, he had plenty to say. My God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Now again, he felt the forsaken for the first time, that separation from God the Father for the first time in eternity, but he was doing something else, directing us to Psalm 22. And that, in and of itself, is amazing. And then there was a Roman centurion. Whether he believed or not, I don't know. But he certainly said the right things. He saw Jesus on the cross as this is the Son of God. This is a righteous man. We must be not only saying that about Jesus. We must be believing that about Jesus. Even though we don't have all the answers. And so I stand before you today as one that I admit I don't have all the answers. But I have one answer that everybody desperately wants to have. And that is... What happens when I die? That answer is crystal clear in the Bible. If you die as a believer in Christ, you instantly go to heaven where you will live in eternity in perfection and peace and bliss. If you don't have Christ and you die, you don't go to heaven, you go to hell. Again, the answers are crystal clear. So I don't have every answer to every question that there is. Okay? My eyes didn't see Jesus die on the cross. My eyes didn't see God create the heavens and the earth. But I believe. And remember, that's what God requires. Faith, not sight. But that one probing question that everybody needs to answer, that everybody wants to know, what happens when I die? I have that answer. And so can you, but only by grace through faith in Jesus Christ who on that cross said it is finished and translating that to today he says it's paid in full have your sins been paid in full you say well I'm trying to do the right thing I'm trying to go to church I'm, I'm, brother Gary I'm even going to help you unload your truck after church I'm going to carry I didn't ask you that have you been saved have you been forgiven Have you received Christ as your Savior? Are your sins paid in full? If they're paid in full, there's nothing you need to do. He did it all. Receive Christ and receive His salvation. Receive His eternal life. Receive your reservation in heaven forever. And as a believer, if you're already a believer, are you saying the right things about Jesus? Could you say what the, what the centurion said? This is the Son of God and everything that goes with it. This is a righteous man and everything that goes with it. Are you not only saying the right things about Him, are you believing the right things about Him? Because when it comes down to it, God is interested in faith more than He's interested in anything else. We must believe. I believe and I challenge you to believe this morning. Let's pray. Father, we thank You for Your Word. We thank You that Jesus did go to the cross and all kinds of things happened. There people said things and the great exchange and all of that happened. And we're so grateful. Father, when it comes down to it, 
we must believe. There may be those here in this room who have not yet believed. They've not yet trusted Christ as Savior. Give them grace and faith to believe right here and right now. And for those of us, those of us who have believed, like the centurion, maybe may we be saying the right things about Jesus, telling others, and may we be believing the right things about Jesus. In His name, we pray. Amen. We're going to sing a hymn of invitation as we do. I'll be up.